Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Get ready to be inspired. This is the Big Fish Cares Podcast. Big Fish Cares Podcast. Whether it's business, life, financial, relationships, we're sharing stories and journeys to help inspire you to be optimistic and to take action. No matter the hurdle in life, you can do it, and we're here to help. Welcome to the Big Fish Cares Podcast, and here's your host, Benny Fisher. Got a great episode today, ladies and gentlemen. Got a guy that I've been following on the Facebook for a long time, and I finally actually got to meet him in real life this year, and we've become pretty good friends. Uh, his name's Adam Sand, and he is got very, 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 I say, with peculiar background with like even a more interesting mind. Combine that with like roofing and social media and processes and births this baby. And uh, that's kind of like my Adam Sand intro. Welcome to the show, buddy. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad to be here. And yeah, it's it's interesting to think back to the day when I first remember you calling me, and I was like, "Big fish, what's this guy?" And uh, and then we've kind of since had so many conversations and got to know each other really well. And I would consider you a great friend. But I've uh, I've always I've always found your story quite interesting, and it's it's been fun, right? But yeah, it all started. This whole thing is one big accident. This whole like career of mine <laughs> is just one. I think big all accident. of ours is one big accident. <laughs> yeah, nobody like uh, nobody wakes up when they when they're seventeen, eighteen years old and says, "Mom, I'm going to be in the roofing industry for the rest of my life." <laughs> yeah, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, both in the and roofing I industry. Mean, it it really is. I mean, I I never put it. I, I mean, if you looked back at when I was a I mean, when I was young, I knew it was going to be in business because back when you had Microsoft Netscape, or no, it was not Microsoft Netscape. It was something else, but it was Netscape was the web browser, and Microsoft had a browser, Internet Explorer, and they were, they were like the enemy. Uh, and we were like, oh, Internet Explorer sucks because Netscape has better bookmarks. I mean, back when you bookmarked the Internet because you couldn't just Google something and find it again. Um, I had, like, bookmarks on business espionage and, like, corporate finance and like i like i collected bookmarks like that and read stuff like that and your bookmark collection was like your your vision board today for a nerd um and i always knew i was going to do business but i just didn't know what and it's been like that my whole life and i was designing websites at 14 years old for my local town i mean it's just, where are you from just, uh stony plain alberta so a tiny so the northernmost city in the world that has a, more than a million people is Edmonton, Alberta. So people might know it for Edmonton Oilers. They might know Alberta because they've heard of the oil sands in northern Alberta, or they've heard of Calgary, which is like Canada's Texas. Well, Stony Plain is about 30 minutes out of Edmonton. And Stony Plain is the where I went to school, but I actually lived in a rural area about 20 minutes further in literally the middle of nowhere. And it was like, it's country. You know what I mean? It's just so it's like all those movies that we see when they portray like Alaska or Canada and it's like just snow and then like, you know, big things of ice and people are ice fishing and there's Eskimos and there's tents and there's like, I don't know, is it, is it kind of like that? Yeah, yeah. Like I had a polar bear that I rode to school. No, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just 
just curious, man, because like it doesn't look no, like there's much it, happening it, up there. It, there, there isn't. We don't have the infrastructure that you do. Actually, that, that's something that you even forget. You don't even realize when you're in Canada, and then you don't realize when you come to the states. You just come to the states, and you just like and you just start forgetting. Because like I remember when the first time that I spent driving across the country, which was this year, uh, we you know took advantage of the interstate system, and then we got back to Canada because I, I had to come back to Canada like to reset my visa and your we like where we were we had to cross Canada the closest border we could because we literally ran it to the last day of the 180 days and then we crossed the border and then we had to drive back to Edmonton through Canada all the way from the from Ontario and it was like gravel roads like driving through towns at, at 22 miles an hour like terrible you know what I mean and there's there's no interstate system you know what I mean? Like you guys have it down here in the States. Does the internet work like along the gravel road? Like do you guys have like LTE? Yeah. So we, we do have decent internet. Um, we actually have it in some places better telecommunications than you do because we have less people. Um, but what a lot of Americans don't know is that like, Canada really became a sovereign country in 1982, 40 years ago. Right? Like you guys, you know, you have your 1776 and when you sign your Declaration of Independence and all that kind of stuff. We didn't get a constitution, a Canadian constitution, until 1982. So we're actually relatively new as a country. And so, you know, you, as a business, you're not going to set up shop in a country that's technically a British colony. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little bit of an uncertain economic circumstance, right? And so we really didn't start developing as a country until 1982. And so we don't have a lot of what america has and it's just a it, it, it's a lot of americas think of us as like the 53rd state kind of thing but you know we're just some like state up north that we're the same but just colder and more friendly so, wait who's 51 and 52 washington dc and puerto rico yeah i mean yeah you could kind of say it that way i kind of say 53rd because you guys leave room for others before you get us that's why you bought Al alaska and didn't buy us you know what i mean but yeah but alaska is um, technically the 49th right hawaii is the 50th what yeah I think. So, but like, who's Washington D.C. would be like fifty. Well, fifty-one would be Washington D.C. if they ever have right. to, because they have taxation without uh, representation in Washington D.C., which is odd. Um, and then Puerto Rico will probably get accepted in, and eventually you'll just buy Canada. Buy Canada. How much is Canada worth? Seventy bucks. Is that Canadian or American? That'd be American. So that would probably be like one point five trillion. Canadian. I still can't figure out like how the how the money works, but uh, so tell oh, us about the like younger. Tell us about the younger days for Adam. See, like what what were you like when you were a kid? Tell me, like um, yeah, like what were you like in like middle school? I, I was really uh, I was really shy and introverted. My parents were getting a divorce. My dad was like super super. This is actually stuff that nobody ever asks you on a podcast. So it's kind of different. Well, this um, is this is the Big Fish Cares podcast. I actually care. Cool. I like it. So my dad was like super shy, right? So he was like a huge introvert. Uh, he was a shy guy. You know what I mean? He would, uh, when I was like a little kid, my first fireworks show, I was running all over this hill. My mom had told me we we're going to see fireworks. And I was like running all over this hill going, telling everybody. Because I, at a young age, like when I was a little kid, I was, you know, I was like Ben Fisher. I just walked up and talked to everybody all the time. Even if they didn't want me to talk to them, they still talked to them. So I'd be like, we're going to see fireworks. Did you know we're going to see fireworks? We're going to see fireworks. I had no fucking clue what fireworks were, right? But I was telling everybody that was sitting on the hill waiting for the fireworks, just to, just so you know, we're going to see some fireworks tonight because they apparently didn't know in my head. 
And my mom, you know, thinks it's cute. My dad's like, go get him. Go get him. He's he's bugging people. Don't like – people don't want to be bothered by some kid running around. You know what I mean? Like that's the way he was all the time. I still feel a lot of that actually. Like I, I recognize that I, I've picked up some of the trait. But it's like now it's my dad's voice in my head going, ah, Adam, nobody wants to talk to you. Don't go bug them. They don't want to hear from you. They don't want to talk to you, right? Um because my dad used to say a lot of that shit. Oh, don't bug people. Don't bug people. Right? People don't want to be bothered by you. Don't leave them alone. Let them leave them alone. Don't 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 make noise. Be quiet. Right? And uh, and then all of a sudden the fireworks went off, and I never knew what a firework was. So it was like, and I was like, holy shit! And I spent the rest of my rest of the night crying in my mom's lap because I was so scared by the big bang, and the whole hill was laughing their ass off because now this kid that was like, hey, did you know we're going to see fireworks? They're like. That, that kid didn't know what he was about to expect because now he's crying and missing the whole fireworks show. So I picked up on a lot of that. But my parents were really um, entrepreneurial. My dad was kind of a lunk. You know what I mean? He couldn't read. What's um, a lunk? He was I didn't, I've never lunk. heard that he just word didn't, not, not educated, right? Like not, not, okay. not educated. He wasn't, he wasn't smart. My dad was dyslexic, but back in a time when they didn't, you know, in Can- I don't know if it's different in the States back in like 1953. Eight, you know, like when you're like five years old, they never picked up on that he was dyslexic. So they never understood how to help him. So he couldn't read. And I have a bit of it too. I'm more so when I write than when I read. Um, like if you ever see me write on a whiteboard, you'll actually see that like I go backwards and I have to like wipe out letters because you lo- it would look like I can't spell things like sales, right? Um, because I screw up the letters when I write. Um, but my dad, I, under, I understand it. You know what I mean? Like I was taught that I had this at a young age. I had a speech impediment because of it at a young age. I had tr- problems putting words together, right? And so my dad had it, but they never knew how to help him. So then he never had a chance to read or become eloquent in any way. So he went did what his dad did, which is work on oil rigs, right, and in the oil field. Um, met my mom. My mom was uh, really smart. My mom was always entrepreneurial. I just told this story to Allison today, actually. My mom was the kind of person when she was 10 years old, my grandfather had a business hanging curtain rods, right? And it's kind of a fun story because it, it shows a lot of who I, how I came to be. But she's hanging curtain, her, her, her dad was hanging curtain rods and her two older brothers had jobs hanging curtain rods with, with my grandpa. And that was their business. They'd go to all the hotels and hospitals and schools and basically it was just a rod with the rings and then they'd put the curtains on. And... My, my mom was like, I want a job. I want a job. I want a job. And my, my grandpa was like, you're a girl. Like, you're not getting a job. Like, like fold my socks. Like, he bust my mom's nose once for folding the <laughs> socks. Right? Like, that's like, bust my grandma's nose for folding the socks. And my grandpa was really big on socks. I don't know why. He was old German dude, scatterbrained from, like, World War shit. But, um, you know, he, uh, he was pretty particular with his socks. But he said there's no way he's giving a girl a job. But then she bugged him enough. That he gave her a job and said, fine, I'll pay you 25 cents, um, 25 cents a rod. And I, I don't know how it worked, but she got paid for how many rings she put on the rod. And she had to put the rod together, put the rings on, and put the ends on. And then they could put the they could hang them and then put the curtains on, right? And so gave her the job for two days. She did a good job for two days. On the third day, he comes home. My mom was tanning in the backyard at like 10 years old. Or basically, she was laying around um, in the backyard. And... My grandpa freaks out. He's like, what are you doing? I thought you were making the curtain rods. I thought you wanted this job. And she's like, I do. Well, it turns out she had gotten her two girlfriends to go make the curtain rods for a third of what my grandpa was paying her. And so she was making an override on her friends. And her two friends were making curtain rods. And they were happy to be girls with a job. And she was making 15 cents a rod. And they were making 10. She was making 15 cents to do nothing. 
So she figured out how to do business at a young age, right? She's like a Philly, she was like an affiliate rod maker. Yeah, exactly. She has 66% margins, too. Like, that bitch was cut, cutthroat, right? Wow. So, yeah, so my mom meets my dad, and my dad's a kind of a bozo, right? And, like, I mean, I, like, he's my dad, but I mean, I just recognize it. Like, she meets him, and she's like, okay. It's like 1981, 82. So, like, Canada just became a country. We, like, women cannot get on a bank account, women cannot get a mortgage, right? And she's like, all right, well, you're not that smart, but I love you, right? And you're a good earner, and I think you'd be a good provider, and you're a good man. I want to start businesses, but I can't own businesses because I'm a woman in Canada in 1982. I can't even get a lease on a building so like to do something. But she was smart. And so she found a moving company, right, that it was going broke. It was called Ameridian or something. No, it wasn't called that, but she changed it to Ameridian. It was an American and Canadian moving company. She basically found a way to, to acquire this broke moving company and get into international moving. They actually moved IBM's first offices overseas. Um, and she started this with my dad's money to get him tax refunds, basically. My dad would work his ass off in the oil field. My mom would invest it. And the biggest, the reason that they made so much money was they found that one big problem was understanding what was in the shipping containers or what was in the moving trucks. And my mom thought, this is like a ga- this is like a grocery store because they had the barcode scanners at the grocery store. She's like, this is like a grocery store, isn't it? And he's like, yeah. And so then she got this banker kind of saying, like, I got this idea. My, my dad, where he worked in Lodgepole, Alberta, which is this tiny little shithole, and like even more remote than where I grew up. Well, there was a grocery store that went bankrupt. And my dad told my mom about it. She's like, well, I need a grocery store's equipment to solve this problem with these moving containers. And so she said, like, it's basically like you don't know what's in the container without writing it on a on some kind of ledger or registrar or whatever they called it. And it's like you don't know what's going in and out as it goes in and out unless you search for it on the piece of paper and then cross it out and then add something on, write it down. So then they, she got a loan to buy this bankrupt grocery store just to get the equipment. And then she put a generator together, or she got my dad to put a generator together so they could take the scanning machine bits from the tiller, like at the grocery store, where they scan all your little foods through. And she made this thing so that she could print the barcodes, the UPC codes that would go on groceries, but she would print it on items. And then she'd say like, this is a computer, this is a mouse, this is a desktop, this is a chair. And so she could scan things in and out of the sea containers. They had 30,000 square feet on the railroad in the eighties in Canada, which was like ball or shit. And she actually invented a lot of what like Uber and Amazon and like FedEx are using today with the little hand scanner that they scan and get you signed. She had that shit in 1985. Wow. Yeah, with a gas-powered generator pushing it around on a cart. You know what I mean? So that's where so, you get all your crazy, all your ideas and your problem solving well, skills yeah, from. Because we didn't, we didn't have like music growing up, like radio. There's no radio; it's too far away for radio, so you couldn't pick up on any radio stations. And my parents were too broke most of the time because they're spending all their money on businesses to like buy. Like they didn't, they didn't waste money buying stupid shit. Like, I had four music things my entire childhood. I can name you all four things that I had for music growing up. I had Nirvana. I think it was Naked. It's one little baby in the pool. I had that Nirvana. I had a Michael Jackson tape. Tape, not CD. There was no CDs yet. I certainly didn't get a Walkman or a CD Walkman. Um, I found a tape that had Dr. Feelgood on it in my mom's office in some box from when she bought an office with another business she had one day. And 
crisscross. The ones with the guys, yeah. jump, Tur- jump with the pants on back. Totally crossed right? out, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I four, well, it was four music things I had going up to Cape. But my mom, she spent all her money on like business and self-improvement books. So like Tony Robbins, Waking the Giant Within, um, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember now. But like um, Waking the Giant Within, and then um, she had Kevin Trudeau's Mega Memory Course, The Popcorn Report, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich, like all these kinds of books. Yeah. She, also par- she also had parenting books. Like I would talk back to my parents and tell them how to parent me because I heard it on the tapes that they were supposed to be listening. She had all these books on tape, right? And so that's what I would listen to when I went to bed. And I still do this to this day. Allison complains about it constantly that I listen to, I can't go to bed without listening to something. And so that was just the way I've always, always been. And I haven't actually, I've told this to, I don't think I've told half the shit to Allison, to be honest with you, but. Well, you know, just, we have it recorded now. She can listen to the podcast. But yeah, so that's just the way I've always been. So in middle school, I was this extremely introverted person that found safety in like books. And like, I played video games back, but it was like before video games are cool. Like I used to get picked on and teased. Because they played video games. Now, like the coolest kids in the world play Call of Duty at a world-class level. If you played whatever game I was playing at a world-class level, you were a N-E-R-D nerd. Oh, yeah. When did you um, When did you get a computer or the internet? Uh, that's a cool question. So my mom, she had another business. So my, my mom and dad, they both said, he has to learn how to read, and he has to learn computers. So my mom taught me how to read at two. I could read flashcards. Before I could speak, I could read. I could, my mom could hold up flashcards and I could point at the body part or point at the thing that it was. So they taught me how to read early. And they said I needed to learn how to use computers. And so the third business my parents owned, because they had the moving company, and then they, they did something else, Executrade, uh, the uh, Investors Group, one of those like network marketing franchises, kind of like a Primerica or World Financial Group. It was called Investors Group. That was the second one. And she was like a realtor for a bit. And then she... Uh, and then she did a Synop, I don't know, Synoptex, Executrade Center. That's what it was. Executrade Center, et cetera, right? And it was a place where executives could go to use the internet. Before we had, like, before internet was ubiquitous and kind of in everybody's house and everything like that, like, when internet was, like, something the government had and, like, the biggest companies had, if you were, like, you know, couldn't get internet to your home, like, they just didn't plummet to your house yet, like, it wasn't physically available to your home yet, yeah, you could go to what we would call like an internet cafe. It was like that, but it was actually offices, and it was it was like ten desks with ten computers, and you get access to the internet. My mom bought the internet, and I was like, "This is back in a, like, I must have been. It was before the divorce, so I was like eight, I think." Wait, what year? Got, help me out. How old are you? That would be uh, nineteen ninety four, Lillehammer Olympics. Okay, yeah. ninety four. Yeah, you're, so how old are you right now? Thirty eight. Yeah, so you're a couple years younger than me. See, I remember the internet in '91, but that's because we had a phone line. And if you had yeah. a phone line, you could get a you get a 14k modem. Yeah, so like 14k, 28k, 56k, and ISDN were like the internets that we had back then. And yeah. so we had ISDN in the office, so 128k, which was lightning back then. And oh, I was yeah. like, can you down? And I used to remember like trying to download the internet. You know what I mean? Because my mom had these big computers that were like used. And so essentially she had a pager system, like this big wall full of like pager machines that people connect to people's pagers. You could come and scan, photocopy, kind of like a Staples print shop. But Uh then you also had these internet stations that you could use. And it was extremely expensive back then. Like you paid by the minute. Um, 
but I would just go in there and be on the internet all day long. Back in those like news groups, like alt dot this and alt. Do you remember Prodigy? Prodigy, no, no. I like this, like uh, I guess it was similar. I don't know what it was. I don't know. What, I should probably look it up now. But I just always remember being on Prodigy. You could find games. It was kind of before Google and Yahoo. Yeah. Um, well, back when they had like all the search engines. Yeah, and it was like Alta Vista and Metacrawler and stuff. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I think it was. I yeah. think it was that and that and that that era. And then there was always these games that you could download. I remember playing a game called Bombs. Hmm. Where you would just like control this little pixelated thing, and then you would just like then you would put how much power you wanted to shoot in, and it would go shoot. Oh yeah, and you'd shoot how far it was. And yeah, and like the other guy. yeah, and then there would be like a bigger hole depending on what. Yeah, the video yeah. games back yeah, then so I, come a long way. <laughs> yeah, the crazy. Yeah, it's it's intense. But so that was like so I really kind of fell in love with the internet early because um, before that my mom. She bought the Encyclopedia set, Britan- Encyclopedia Britannica, and it was like that was my books as a kid. She bought like she the bought entire them, like set. the hard the, the big books, the big books. She bought the, the whole ones that thing. always got dusty just... at grandma's house. Yeah, because they didn't get dusty in my house. I just read yeah, them my gra- and like my grandma something. just had them on the wall. My grandma just like they were on the wall. Nobody ever pulled one out. Yeah, because some salesman came to your house and did it. But we lived out in the country. There was no there was three channels on TV, and two of them were fuzzy. And there's no radio, so you had to figure something out. So I just pulled encyclopedias off the wall, and I'd read everything about C, and I'd learn about China. And I'd like when I had to do a report on China, and like when I was ten years old, I was talking about isotherms, and my teacher was like, "That's stuff for a university student." I was like, "I don't know." I just read it in the encyclopedia back home, and I got in trouble for plagiarizing because I copied it out of the encyclopedia. But I was like, "Well, that's where I learned it." What do you think <laughs> like, about kids nowadays with YouTube? Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think their learning curve is? Like, like I have an eight year old. It's, it's, uh, it's he, incredible. He knows he knows more stuff about like the weirdest things because of YouTube. I'm like, how'd you learn that? He's like, YouTube. I'm like, how'd you learn that? YouTube. I'm like, what? Like, I mean, I'm talking like he knows stuff that 12th graders should know that I probably would have known in 12, 11th, 12th grade. I think like, weird fun facts. You, I think that. We as a society got so busy. We we like you know our parents like so. If you've read this book like called The Fourth Turning, it talks about this like these different ways that we're, oper- we're operating. Like we were brought up when our parents were really busy, and so they're kind of like shut up, don't bother, don't touch anything in the store. You know, like so we were done like that. So we were taught to kind of like take care of ourselves. And so then our generation and those like a little older than us, like forty five, like they've felt like their kids should be you know kind of be be like that, but. You know, there's this generation that is, is just using this device to to keep themselves occupied because their parents are busy and parents are, you know, leaving them to this device. And and they say things like this that make you happy because, like, wow, I never would have taught you that shit. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm kind of glad that you have it. And so kids get to nowadays get to choose between whatever stupid stuff their parents are doing and the adult conversations that are happening or anything they want in this device, anything they want. <laughs> Whatever they want to know, whatever question, curiosity, or stupid thing comes into their brain, is there purple cows? You know what I mean? They'll do it. And they might stumble across the book Purple Cow by Seth Godin. And they'll listen to it for four minutes and go, nope, I don't like that. That sounds like adult stuff. And they'll go to the next one, but the shit still went in their head. And then they'll look at like purple cows and they'll find out that like how color refracts off the sun. And then there's like they, they absorb all this kind of stuff. And what's really crazy to think about 
is what happens when those kids grow up and they have a 750 credit score and something in life that bothers them, either in real life or the metaverse, and they don't like what they see and that's, that itch, they want to scratch it. And because they have a 750 credit score and they know exactly how to figure out how to do anything they want, and by then you're going to have like the ability to tell a computer to code something and it'll code it because you can already tell, tell you can already do that with Elon Musk's open space, right? And uh, the, the, the art that you can get done by that uh, Dolly too. So what happens when those two combine themselves and you say, make me this? What kind of world are those kids going to create? They already intrinsically understand crypto cryptocurrency ef nfts they understand like the idea of like money that's linked to like digital assets like they they would they would rather clothe their kid in roblox bucks clothes than actual clothes for themselves so what are they going to create when they're 22 years old and have a 750 beacon score it's going to be nuts the fico i guess you guys call them states yeah, beacon i remember beacon scoring back in the old car yeah. days i think it yeah. was a, I think that was a car you were in the car business for a little while yeah, yeah. I don't know what our so. kids are going to do. I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, like my eight-year-old. It's going to be interesting to see, like, what college looks like for him. Uh, what, like, what jobs are out there? You know, right now he's all about like he wants to be an astronaut. I mean, but that's I feel like that's all eight-year-olds. I mean, back in the day, even back I still I want to be an old. astronaut. Huh? I still want to be an astronaut. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Where the so. next billionaires will be made is in space, man. Going, going, going to the moon to going to the moon to work at launch from a base to mine a space asteroid is just as crazy today as going to North America to chop down trees, fight the Indians and the bears, and build a railroad across the country. It's equally as crazy. The next Robert yeah. Barons will bring will bring palladium back from an asteroid to Earth, and will crash world economies with abundance of things that were previously considered scarce. So. Not a bad thing for him to like. Don't don't be afraid to foster that. That's sick. I would, well, we're fostering. I mean, I don't know what you foster. I mean, you send him to Cape Canaveral for a couple of summer camps and uh, damn NASA, right you do. A couple Cape, NASA get him summer camps, get him a Tesla at yeah. sixteen. I mean, you no, know, I don't say yeah, get him a Tesla. I say you take him to SpaceX and like let him watch some shit. I, I mean, I, I don't know. You do it. I can't tell. No, I mean, listen. Kids, no, I, I, I think it's. But, listen, I think it's. I mean, I definitely want to explore that. I mean, I, I'm. I'm a. What I don't want to happen is the same thing that happened to me is kind of the same thing that happened to both of us, it sounds like, you know. Oh, kid, shut up. Your ideas, you know, they're no good. Like, you know, just keep – just go get a real job, you know. Mm -hmm. Go get a real yeah, job. That was that was the thing. I, I When I was 14, I just remember my dad, I was pissed off because my parents weren't in a position to give me the kind of easy that the other kids around had. You know, there was this, these, there was these family called the Polacks and the Myshacks and the Albers and the Ulmers. I still remember their names to this day. Um, they would probably kind of get off on this, but they were like this. They were like the wealthy. They were the. They were like the wealthy families in town. You know what I mean? Like they owned Myshack Rentals and the, the Chevy dealership. You know they owned and and like so their kids got to like drive Corvettes off the lot and bring it to school and all this kind of shit. Meanwhile, I was riding my bike and get picked on for playing video games and I had goofy clothes that came from discount shops and shit like that. And uh and I was just like I was really mad that my parents didn't have that. And I was also mad that my parents couldn't get me a job. You know what I mean? It's like I wanted a job, and my parents were like, "Well, just go apply." And I was so terrified that I couldn't apply for a job. I was so scared. I was like, I just wish I had parents who would like call their buddy and like get me a job, you know, get me a job on the roofing crew or in the landscaping job or something. I ended up getting a job working in a trust plant 
fell on the machine, popped like 18 holes in my elbow, falling on a gang nail. So oh. first occupational health and safety incident at 14 in a day. But oh. All I wanted was to buy it. All I really wanted was to buy a 1999 Pontiac Trans Am brand new at 16 years old, like a total moron. Um, and But that was what I wanted, right? And then everything about my life was all about trying to like buy some things that would give me status that I never had because I, I felt like those things would give me a feeling of confidence to walk into a room because I was so terrified. And like, I remember there was this like, at the time, beautiful girl, I, you know, I look back and I go, gosh, Adam, your standards have changed. But at the time she was like this, I mean, I guess she's high school girl, like girls with like big blue eyeshadow and stuff like that. It's just like back in that, those days was probably good looking. I look back now, like, what was I thinking? But this beautiful girl. And I really, really wanted to go on a date with her. I wanted to ask her and I got myself in the friend zone for like a year. And then I bought, I got my first Trans Am, but it was a night, it was a, 1978 Trans Am, definitely not a brand new one, but it was still a pretty sick car. Um, probably faster than that car that I wanted to buy off the lot because it was like the old muscle car style. And uh, yeah, like the Knight Rider type, right? Like not you know. no before Knight Rider, more like before Smoke, Smoke Smoking the Bandit. All right, right. So the black with the gold hood shaker and the black it was gotcha. a custom custom car, but it was it was pretty cool. I took this girl on a date, crashed the car first day, showing off. Yeah, so I mean, but I actually got her on a date. Well, there so, you go. Yeah, so and that just, was after being in the friend zone for a year. Yes, right. that's hard and to that do. Was right back, sometimes you get stuck right in... back in the friend zone. But yeah, because yeah, then I had an emotional breakdown because I crashed the car that me and my dad built, and on my first day driving, so I felt a lot like uh, an idiot then. But you know, so that's, I went to the military. Right, I went to the military because it was the job you could get. You know, and is that like the Mounties? No, that's the police. Right. See, I don't know yeah. Canadian stuff, man. I'm just trying it's to like, like I don't even yeah, know I didn't even know Canada had a military. I just thought you guys used America's military. We do. We did show you guys <laughs> how to do it right because we have to do more with less all the time. That's why like, so many like, of your, do, you, do you guys so ever many, have to go so anywhere? Many, like do you guys you guys don't ever have to go to the Middle East to fight wars, you go, do you? you asshat. We go everywhere you go. Every time you guys go do shit, we go we join along. We're part of the coalition of the willing, okay? We'll do all, right. all the fights all the fights that you fight, you we go fight. You lend us your guns. Right. And then we actually get what like the great thing is, is we train with like Soviet era garbage. And then we actually get to use your guns and your equipment. And then we fight kind of under your flag in your wars. We actually hold more of your records. Really? Yeah. We actually hold quite a few records for like th from dating back to like Korea. Um, there we go. But the Canadian, but again, that's just because Canadian soldiers, you practice with, with such garbage that when we get to like be a part of a real military, we actually, um, I guess appreciate it more. Do you guys have like degree. branches like we do, like Army, Navy, Marines? Like... Yes, yeah, so you have the Royal Canadian Air Force, the Royal Canadian Army. So you like you have Royal Canadian Navy. So it's it's like that. Um, and then you know we have like JTF Joint Task Force, which is like your SEALs and um, gotcha. Yeah, stuff like so that. How, like, I mean, what was your experience like? Well, I mean, I went, I left very scared and unconfident, and I came back totally the opposite. So I came back and I had a shaved head. And I was in good shape, and so I joined the football team. I broke 14 opposing players' bones in that year playing football because they came hard as nails. Um, well, me and another guy. Me and another guy playing rugby and football broke, between the two of us, broke 14 opposing players' bones many times during the same hit. So they broke a bone in half and called us Bone Brothers. So what kind of like football? Fever. Like college football? No, 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 just high school football because I came, went to the military in my last year of high school and then came because I, September 11th, um, I did my basic training in the summer 
of my last year of high school. And then because September 11th happened when I came back to school, we immediately got a, a reprieve from school to go do, do urban combat training um, for to, because they didn't know what we were going to be doing, right? Wow. And so then... Yeah, that makes we, sense. Yeah, because that would have happened like right when you were getting ready to graduate, huh? Yeah. So then we went and did that. And then I came back and yeah, it was just like the toughest, cockiest guy, guy kind of thing. I became like a total opposite of what I was. Like a guy... There was like this professional professional high school arm wrestler and he was like i remember this master corporal hurtwig jock right we were doing a push-up competition in basic training me and the guys in, in our room and he walked in we we're like hey you want to do a push-up competition He's like no i'll fight you to the death though and everyone was like fuck all right you know what i mean we kind of left it so when i came back and i was this guy that i came back this guy would usually have been like testing me on my first few days of school before september 11th he would have been testing me on my first few days of school and he was like, hey, want to arm wrestle? And then he would have beat me. And then he would have made fun of me. And then everybody would have laughed at me because I was bigger than him, right? But he, I was bigger, but he had, that's what he did. He did arm wrestling since he was eight years old, right? And so he said, hey, want to arm wrestle? I was like, no, but I'll fight you to the death. And then everybody was like, who's this dude with the army shirt on, right? They like, came and said that. And so I'd, then they left me alone. And then another person tried with me. So a guy had this Camaro, Jesse, something or other. And he had a, and he had a Camaro and he said, with a Corvette engine in it, and I heard about it, right? And I knew mine was fast, but I didn't think I could beat him. Um, but he said, uh, and I was, you know, he, I, I was one of the guys with like a muscle car in school, and he was like, hey, you want to race? And I was like, I only race for pink slips. And then he was like, nah, never mind. Because <laughs> it sounded fast, right? Mine yeah. definitely sounded faster. So then I just learned that, like, if you, I just learned the tenets of conflict, you know what I mean? Like, and how to win conflict, because conflict, it's something that I've basically dealt with my whole life. Like my parents got divorced and they had conflict. And I got picked on in school and I, I understood what it meant to lose in conflict. And then I got into the military, started to learn, playing sports, I started to learn. I had to, you know, had to do some fights. And, and then, I, then I got into business at 20 and I learned how to lose in business, how to win in business. And then I, I did my buddy's divorce. Like my buddy was going to get divorced. I fought his divorce for him. No lawyers. And I got the best divorce. I guarantee you, anybody who listens to this podcast, nobody got a better divorce settlement than I got my friend. But I learned the tenets of conflict. And it's like, it really just comes down to skills. Um, it's it, it comes down to skills and the abilities, um, or I guess the experience that you have with those skills. Um, and your, like, your willingness to... I guess how, how do you like skills and then your personal attributes? Are you bigger? Are you smarter? Are you faster? Are you, in, you know, are you, and this is like the same for war, business, anything, right? So this can really apply to anything. It's like skills, um, attributes and experience, right? Because you might have lots of skills and even great attributes, but if, if you don't have experience, you're fucked, right? And so once you kind of look at those tenets of conflict, then you have to think about them and, and how they relate to like the three different methods of victory right and like the only way you can really win any kind of conflict is either like a concentration of force against a zone of weakness it's just like you can inflict high damage with high precision and very quickly um you know and this is again this is this is the blitzkrieg in world war ii this is a lion biting down on your arm and bleeding you or biting down your neck and bleeding you out or this is you know what we did in the divorce you know we um it was be the ability to con well no the, the the divorce I would say actually is more the second one was the ambush right most of the successful wars from mob wars to like actual wars business moves bro scraps is the ambush right from medieval times right um, is like ambushes right so that's like the, the the second way to really like accomplish victory 
And the third one is um, endurance, right? The ability to just go longer, right? So that would be like siege warfare in the old days, right? Or the trench warfare in World War One, right? And the reason that, that Hitler did more damage in World War Two uh, was because he under he learned that the that the that endurance was where Germany lost because they got on a two front war. Now, miraculously, he found a way to manifest himself right back into that same position. But, um, but the reason he had early success was because he didn't try and get into an endurance war. Um, he went for the ability to blitzkrieg, which was concentration of force in a zone of weakness. Um, and those, so if you look at your, your skills and your attributes and your experience and you understand how they relate and how you can execute in the three methods of victory, then there's really only three statuses of conflict, which is the initiation, recognizing a time to act, right? Um, being able to recognize opportunity and act upon it, um, and the ability to disengage. So being able to disengage a will and to put hold or pause um, to wait for better positioning or to not allow um, an opponent to get into in a position where endurance will become their strength point. Because again, you are, when you're looking at your opponent, they have skills and attributes and experience too. So if one of their attributes is better endurance, the ability to disengage at will is your ability to win a conflict. And this is the same thing with a financial fight. If you've got more money in the tank, then you've got endurance, right? But if they have the ability to concentrate in a huge amount of force against the zone of weakness, let's say they could get you into a divorce, right? Wipe out half your net worth in one fell swoop. Or if they can get you in a lawsuit, or if they can get you, this is politics, right? If they can get you canceled, look at what happened to Herschel Walker or Trump or Biden. They're always trying to use concentration of force. That's why you always get the October surprise, right, before the November midterms. Right, so the ability to disengage at will, and then finally having an efficient, proven method of ending a conflict. So, those are like the three statuses of conflict. So, you kind of got, you know, how you participate, how you are, how you stack up in a conflict. Then there's the kind of the um, the three methods of victory, and then there's like the three statuses of a conflict as it exists on a continuum. It's not just like start and end. There's it's a continuum that exists for time, and so. I feel like my life has just been a series of conflicts over and over and over and over again where I continue to try and treat like a video game and just build up my skills, build up my attributes and gain more experience points and then you kind of just keep attacking, right? So, yeah, that's a definitely an interesting way to think about it. What do you think are some um, different, because you had a couple different career. I mean, I know you were in a tanning bed business. I know you sold cars. Tell me what else you've done. I know you own a roofing company, but tell me what mm -hmm. else you've done and you learned along the way. That's kind of helped shape you and mold you into what you are today. Well, so, yeah, I, I basically, in the military, I recognized pretty early we weren't going to make any money. Um, and so I went to the oil rigs um, pretty early into that whole experience. And um, from the oil rigs, I made some cash and I had some money saved up. And I was like, okay, well, I want to start a business. And again, my mom, she had a laundromat, several laundromat locations. And she had this thing called the Sporta machine. It's like a washing machine with like six washing machines in it. And you wash like sports stuff or like funeral home stuff or like rehab stuff or hospital stuff. Like you can basically do a bunch of sheets at once or something. She was trying to work with Gold's Gym, came to Canada. And then she was like, well, maybe I could get like something called a WOW program, workout wear. And she could make a... Um, option for gym members to leave their workout gear at the gym and so she was talking to the guy and the guy was Lebanese and you know he had zero respect talking to a woman so she wanted me to come along right because he I'm not saying all Lebanese were like that just so we don't get canceled on the big fish show I'm just saying <laughs> this guy 
happened to be Lebanese and also happened to not care to talk to a woman about business. One guy, a guy who happened to be that. So nobody get mad at me, but um, just giving the context. And so I was going with her to help with the conversation. And he kept saying, she would be like, well, can I put the drop-off station there? Can I put the drop-off station there? And he kept saying, well, that's the tanning place. That's going to be the tanning place. Well, that spot's the back of the tanning place. Well, we'll have to talk to the tanning place. And she was like, well, who's going to be the tanning person? He's like, well, I'm looking at a few people right now. And I, and we left. We were driving home from West Edmonton Mall, um, where the Gold's Gym was going to first Gold's Gym was going to be. And, and I was, she was like, why don't you do the tanning thing? I said, I don't know anything about tanning. So I went tanning once. And she's like, why don't you do the tanning? I said, well, it's lots of girls. So in the mall, which has lots of girls, the gym has lots of girls, workout, like it makes sense. Like it sounds like it would be a smart idea. So I went to him on my own and said, my mom said I should maybe be the tanning person. And what, what, is, what does that mean? Like, what is it to do that? And he's like, well, you got to come to me with a business plan. And I was like, okay. And I left. Okay. What's a business plan? So I went, started on the internet, searched what a business plan was, and I found Business Plan Pro, some software you could download that was basically a template of what a business plan was and had all these questions you had to ask. And at the time, I was dating a girl who's taking psychology, Nicole Dedelik. She was doing uh, human resources and psychology. And I took her University of Alberta clipboard and I went around to like 16 tanning salons and told them that I was in business at University of Alberta and I was doing a study and I picked tanning salons as the business that I was studying. And I just want to know a little bit about what it was like to run a tanning salon for my report. And so they told me everything, the cost of the bulbs, the cost of the lotion, how much you paid the employees, what the lease was, what the power was, how much little plastic things were that go underneath the tanning beds, you know, what kind of power you needed, how, like what the best places to do or what the best marketing was, how you got customers, all this kind of stuff. I took all their information and I put it in a tanning thing and I was like, what, you know, I said like, what kind of tanning beds would you want to do? Um, and I, I just, you know, the best knowledge comes from asking the best questions. So I just tried to ask really good questions to get really good knowledge. And so I put it all in this business plan. And then I went to him and he's like, I have university graduates that are not giving me what you're giving me right now. Right. And I said, okay, well, I'd like to do this. And I said, and he's like, well, then I'll lease to you. And so he, now he was still smart enough to know that he could take me for every dollar on the lease. And I signed a stupid lease. It was stupid expensive, like seven grand a month. It was insane. Um, I and paid that's what, like 3,500 in Canadian or in American, right? Uh, it was probably closer to parity actually around that time. Oh, okay. Um, but, but All again, right, so it, was, it was a lot of money. Yeah. It was a lot of money at the time. And again, this is brand new, like roofers. That's why I think they're fucking spoiled. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I had to get the lease. I had to get a loan for the equipment. I had to get a sign. I had to get a logo. I had to get a design. I had to get pricing. I had to get a computer. Is that all before I you started? CRM, I had to get a timer. I had to get all this stuff. Right? All before you started. curtain rod. All before you started. I had to get a toilet. Oh, I had to get wow. A yeah. Getting a washer and dryer, right, was like, well, getting a washer and dryer was expensive. It was like $800. You know what I mean? Money I did not have. What if right? What if I told you I didn't even own a ladder for my first eight months in business? I wouldn't be surprised roofing. in the least. Didn't even have a ladder. You know what I had? I had a really awesome laptop. <laughs> yeah. So I... When, so I was scared. So before I opened it, I printed off 20,000 flyers, right, that said, come for a free two free tans on grand opening. And uh, and I walked around the mall, and I realized, holy shit, I'm going to have to talk to girls to do this. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> that I was terrified of talking to women until I tried walking around the mall, which had 880 stores with an average of 60 employees each. 
and 85% of those employees were women. And I learned how to talk to girls real fast because I did not know how to walk up. I, cause I could hear my dad's voice. That girl doesn't want to talk to you. You're ugly. You got a crooked tooth. You're not, no girl wants to hear from you. You're, you know what I mean? Like that's all I heard was my dad's voice. When I, well, I had to learn how to squash that voice and do what I need to do for marketing and take all that doubt and put it away. But I did it. 20,000 flyers, hand them out to everybody. And they, the girls came and we had a business and it ran. And I mean, and I did a lot, everything else wrong. Right, I found lots of stuff. Closed my doors and I went to the Olympics and took all the money out of the cash register. Fuck gross profit margin, net profit margin, you know, un- unearned income, you know, inventory, like the hours that were left on the tanning bulbs. None of that mattered. What mattered is there was money in the cash register and money in the bank, and I was going to close my doors for three or four days and go to the Olympics and buy two thousand dollar hockey tickets to watch the Canadians beat the Olymp- beat the Americans at the uh, at at hockey in Whistler. And so I did lots of stupid shit. I closed my store on days to go bungee jumping. I would show up my store wasted because I went to the I went to the bar six nights a week. Like I did everything stupid. All my buddies, like my my business partner now, I bought every drink, I bought every dinner, I treated everybody to everything. I was always that guy that always was spending all the money. But it was all the money was in the cash register. Stupid shit. Um, took me till twenty seven to figure that out. But from twenty one to twenty seven, I lived large, right, and met lots of girls. The other thing that I learned is how to go to jail for Facebook ads. So I Facebook jail or real jail? Actual jail. Actual oh, okay. jail. Not, not like, like, like not Mark Zuckerberg jail where they put you in time out. No, for not like fake little girly jail. I'm talking like real actual prison. <laughs> Hardcore time in Canada. Ca- cavities, cavity searched. Actually, and the American government had a emissary that got involved. There's some person. So the story goes I needed to, in summertime, the sun is free in Canada, short as it may be, but the rent was still due every month. And I did not have the money because I was doing all that dumb shit that I was telling you about. So I needed to find a way. And I was like, you know what? I just need to make it so I've, so the landlord who was bugging me for his rent because I was late for a few days, he was like, what you need to do is you need to get monthly recurring revenue. You need to get, it's like your memberships. You need a tanning membership because we'd sell minutes. I was like, okay. And so I thought, what could I do that was innovative and different, right? And I thought, okay, everybody hates coming to the tanning lotion remembering to bring their tanning lotion. They would always forget. And it was great money because you could sell them these little $10 packets, right? And so the, you, so your bottle would be like $680 if you were paying for the unit price of the packet. You know what I mean? But the bottle was the better volume discount, but you could sell a packet because people wanted it. They didn't want to tan without their lotion, right? So I thought, you know, that sucks. Nobody likes that. And I thought, what if I could take advantage of the volume discount? Back then, a tanning membership went for around 19 bucks, 30 bucks for a monthly unlimited tanning thing. And so we had some really crazy beds, like $50,000 beds that came in from Italy. We bought like the nicest, most fancy stuff you could buy in the world. Really cool stuff. Stuff like didn't burn, like only did UVA light. You know what I mean? Like 2% UVB. There's like way better, healthier tanning beds. Um, and I was like, okay, what if we um, gave an unlimited tanning lotion membership for 99 bucks a month? So you'd get unlimited tanning lotion, um, but it'd be 99 bucks a month. And so then you would never have to bring your lotion. We'd have three lotions on selection, and we would just give you the lotion every time you came in. So now you didn't have to remember to bring it. You always could try something new. And this was back when Gary Vee was doing Wine Library TV. And so I had this thing called, so I was like, I started this thing called Golden Tan TV, where I would talk about tanning lotions the same way he used to talk about wine. I see right? some of those YouTube videos. I remember you sent me, a, you sent me those yeah. like about a year ago. Yeah, funny. so that so that's like that was what it was like. Welcome to another episode of Golden Ten TV, where we help you feel good and have fun without the guilt. 
You know what I mean? That was like, hi, welcome. This is Gary V. Welcome to the Good Wine Library TV. It's a welcome to the Thunder Show, the most exciting show on wine or some shit like that he used to say, right? But yep. I bought his. I bought a course by a guy named Andrew Locke about web TV before YouTube existed. And he talked about this guy named Gary Vaynerchuk who's like the pin- pinnacle of success online with business TV. And he said, go do what that guy does in this little book. And I bought a book with CDs that you learn from, like an e- like what you buy today, like a web course, like a – like, mm-hmm. a, like a ClickFunnels course. Back then you bought it on CDs and books, but he said to follow Gary Vee. So I tried to do that, and then I was like, okay, I'll, I'll launch it. So what I did was I took – I went down to the mall storage area, and I took all the boxes from the clothing stores, and I got a bunch of wrapping paper because I had no money, right? So I took these leftover boxes, put a bunch of junk in them so they were kind of heavy, like leftover bottles and lotion and whatever, and wrapped them in this brown and gold wrapping paper and i put and this was in august and i was like i had 30 days to make sure that my rent was paid my rent was due on the 15th and it was like august it was like august 12th and i was like i have to make enough money 30 days to pay for my rent or i'm screwed so like okay i gotta make it and now but if i get it done by like september 11th the payments will process by september 13th 14th i can have the rent check by the 15th okay perfect so then i make all these boxes and i have this thing where i'm going to give away one of the memberships that's unlimited lotion and unlimited tanning for a year. I'm going to give them away as a prize. So I talked to all the girls I knew in the mall. I was like, hey, can I hide this little box in your window? I'm going to be sending people by to do a scavenger hunt. And they're going to post pictures on Facebook. And whoever finds the most and tags me in the most pictures on Facebook is going to win this prize. It's worth like $1,200. Can I put you – can I put this box somewhere in your display in the on your store, right? So I had like guests and like all these like, like big brands, guests, Foot Locker, like all these kind of like – and they were hiding these boxes everywhere. But I also had them all the tourist attractions and around the ice rink and in the in the fantasy land and at the hotel, like everywhere. And this was back when like iPhone 3GS hadn't came out. It's still the original iPhone. And like Facebook didn't have pictures like feeding in from a Facebook app yet. They didn't monetize mobile yet. So it was just you had to go take a digital camera picture, go and plug it into your computer, upload to your computer, then save them and upload them to Facebook and then post your picture. So it was hard to do a scavenger hunt, but it meant that it was good advertising because nobody put pictures. It was just like Adam Sand is eating a sandwich. Adam Sand is mad that T-Mobile has bad internet. Like it was just blah, 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 <laughs> is. It was all text back then, very few pictures. And so as – and on the box, it said September 11th, a special gift to tanners everywhere. And all these people started posting these pictures and then all their American family and friends were like, hello, September 11th, West Edmonton Mall is like the biggest tourist attraction in Alberta. They're, he's hiding boxes all over the mall. Like he's going to blow up the mall. So what happened was then that got to the police the, in, in, in the States. Then so then this, this the United States FBI let the Canadian secret CSIS or something like that shit know. And I got arrested at my tanning salon and I got told – I went to the, the, the mall jail because they had a police station in the mall. And I got told that these boxes couldn't be around the mall because people thought it was going to blow up the mall. So then they had to investigate the boxes, prove that they weren't bombs. And then I had to go and round up all the boxes and put them away. And then it got way, way worse because then someone made a fucking meme and, and it made it look like I did it. Was it Tim but, Brown? No, it was not Tim Brown. We weren't friends yet. But he made, someone made a meme. <laughs> And it was the two big tanning franchises in the States were – or sorry, in Canada were Planet Beach and Fabutan. And someone, because this whole September 11th thing, made a meme and they tagged me in it. And back then when you tagged someone, it showed up on your news feed. People didn't realize that it wasn't me. But 
Um, it was two towers. One had the logo Fabutan. One had the logo Planet Beach. And then there was a picture of one plane stuck in the side of the building with a golden tan logo on it. And the other one's coming at it. And it said the tanning terrorist. And I, that got tagged and shared. And then I looked like a real asshole. Wow. Yeah. And the next year, the, wow. World, Wildlife, the World Wildlife Foundation posted a very similar picture about Hurricane Katrina and talked about how 300 times the amount of people died on Katrina. Then September 11th, they had like 300 planes heading at the towers to try and show that. But I took some major heat over that. And so I learned real quick. So you asked what I learned from that experience. Well, I learned the power of um, Facebook, right, and social media. And I also started – so then all the, like, Golden Tan TV stuff, I kind of left that and went on Facebook because no publicity is bad publicity, except for while it's still bad publicity. But after that, it was good. And so I did a lot of stuff on Facebook. And I learned about, like, infographics because I was trying to explain to people how tyrosine, this amino acid that's in lotion – when it combines with the UV light, it goes into this little thing in your skin called a melanocyte. And the melanocyte converts tyrosine into melanin, which is what makes you tan. And so I was trying to explain to people that like melanocytes are these little factories and they're activated, they're solar powered factories that absorb tyrosine and create melanin. And it's the, like the tanning bed is like a solar power, right? And so I made infographics to try and explain to people why you wanted lotion with lots of tyrosine in it because those are the ones that are more expensive and I needed people to understand it. So I learned the power of infographics from tanning. But then that went to shit. I sold it to a guy, owner financed him. He never paid me. Whatever. Life goes on. So I got really depressed, right? Oh, and I was like, man. I never want to deal with people ever again. This is right. I don't like people. So then I went and I was like, oh, you want know to one thing I hated about the tanning app, the tanning days, right? Was that these girls would work at the tanning place and they'd be trying to sell a $140 bottle of tanning lotion, or they'd be trying to sell a $400 package of tanning minutes, and the phone would ring, right? And this is where I, I know it's different now and there's no such thing as two genders, but back then there was definitely two genders, right? So I'm not saying there's more – now there's a million genders. Everybody's happy. But back then there was only two. And the reason I knew it was because when a boy phoned a tanning salon and said, is the Matrix tanning bed available at 6 o'clock? And you said no. They said, okay, what about 6.15? But if a girl phoned, they would say, hi, is the tanning – is the Matrix bed available at 6? And you said no. They go, really? And I'd be like, no, I was just waiting for you to ask me twice. Yeah, no, it's totally available now. That was the difference. And that shit drove me up the wall, right? And I hated it. And I just thought, man, and this, and no, so now this is a few years later. There's apps for that. You know, there's apps for that. That was like the, the state. Like, there's an app for that. There's an app for that. Well, I thought like there should be an app that allows people to go on the internet somehow on their phone and book the tanning bed so they don't have to phone me and they don't have to ask me if I'm really telling the truth and yes, the bed is in fact not available, right? And so um, I, I so I went, so I was like, how do you make an app? So I found this thing, a book called The Lean, the Lean Startup, The Lean Startup, and um, and this book, uh, Dane Maxwell, and if you've ever heard, if you've ever seen consultant.com, uh, this guy, Sam Ovens, um, he started with me in this thing called the foundation. And it was this thing about how you would find a need, find someone who would pay for that need, and then build the app for a discount because they were willing to pay to solve that need. And then use the, what you did to develop it for them to then sell it to everybody else. That's like the overwhelming, oversimplified version of what the foundation was. But this foundation was this place of like Pat Flynn, Sam Ovens, Dane Maxwell, like if you ever had like the like copywriting, how to like the ultimate copywriting checklist, which is like written by Dane Maxwell. Like they all kind of got their, he started the foundation and it was all off like a realtor app 
um, paperless pipeline or whatever for taking realtors paperless. And some ovens did a thing with the with this like inspection app for property managers, right? Using the camera to populate things in a document, kind of like how a company cam populates a PDF. He invented something like that for property managers to do. But like that's where Sam Ovens got all his money. Um, I was in there too, and I thought there has to be a need for this tanning salon thing. So I did. So I found an app. Comp- I found a person who would be willing to pay for it and developed. And then I learned how to make an app. I found a developer. He helped me a little, little bit. I went to this thing called Treehouse or Tree Frog or some shit. Treehouse thing it was. I found this thing online that taught you how to code. So then I learned how to code, worked with the developer, made this app. And it was basically just a table on a website that worked like calendar. You could see what was available and you booked your tanning appointment. Nobody had to call anymore. I had since sold my tanning salon, so I didn't need this. But I knew other tanning salon owners that did. And so I created the tanning salon app. And that was what it was called. But I didn't do it like calendar because back then nobody thought of it that way. Back then, apps were kind of like fridge magnets in your phone. So if you're a plumber, you leave a fridge magnet in on the fridge because then people have a plumbing problem. They go, oh, yeah, there's a fridge magnet with the plumber's number, right? Well, apps were like this thing that you never deleted. Like if you asked somebody back then, hey, do you have any apps in your phone? Like when was the last time you deleted an app? And they go, oh, shit, like never, right? It's like, yeah. So if you have your tanning slot app in your customer's phone, you will always be the place they go to for a tan. And they can book it right on the app, right? So then I went and sold it to a whole bunch of tanning salons, and they, um, and and they loved it. But the problem was then Android came out, those fuckers, and they had all these different <laughs> sizes of phones, right? And they didn't have this thing called HTML5 or responsive design yet. So then all the apps had to be rebuilt for all the phones. And all my customers were like, "My customer can't get it to work on their BlackBerry." I'm like, "BlackBerry's going out of business anyway. It doesn't matter." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But um, I, I couldn't keep up to development costs. So I found a franchise and I sold the app to them. They had like 300 locations. So they bought it, made some money. Now I was depressed. Right? Did you make any money? I made money. Okay. Right? So you made like and enough they, money to where you felt like it was a win, right? Like you're like, yeah. Yeah, no, it, that was a win. But I was depressed because I f- still failed. Because I knew I was selling to someone who was going to take it way further. And I wasn't going to be like all the other people in the foundation. Cause back then it wasn't about building an app and selling it to someone. Why didn't you sell 90% like, of it? So that way you can have a little taste. Cause I didn't have anybody to tell me that Benny. Cause I was scared <laughs> okay. of people and didn't have any friends. The only Sorry. friend I had was Joel, who was a fucking shingler. And another <laughs> well, guy named Jay. And, and that'll probably get to our rocks. next episode. Cause this episode's almost over. And now yeah. we're just getting into how Adam then met Joe, the shingler. Yeah. Adam took his, you know, process mapping, customer service, marketing, sales. They yeah, combined all it the to video make a, experience that I got from the car industry. All the videos. Oh yeah, and then they birthed the roofing company. Now Adam's going around the country just to get you the cliff notes because we're gonna have to come back and do another episode. Now he's going around the country, basically fixing roofing companies for the future, so then that way they can kind of um, don't get left behind like Blockbuster Video, right, Adam? Yes, sir. And that's what he's doing, and uh, yeah, that is your mind is amazing, though. I mean, I feel like we could, like you, and I guarantee you, you probably have a thousand more stories, just like the five or six that you just shared with us. I mean, maybe if people ask the right questions, I, I mean, think, you were pretty, yeah, you you were kind of, I mean, you got me thinking about emotional things. Like you should do this interviewing stuff more because you got me thinking about emotions. Like very early, it's what were you like as a little boy? And I was like, what do you give a fuck about you, Adam? And then somebody all of a sudden cares. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I care. Like, I mean, you know, usually people are like, Adam, what can you do for me? What's the best CRM? Yeah. What automation do I need? Well, who wants to, how much hey, should I put in my sumo quote? How do you price wants, a roof? How do you pay guys that want, Yeah, These guys that want to keep selling roofs, man. I don't understand. Like, there's so much more to life. 
other than selling roofs. I wish somebody would tell these guys that. Well, that's, that's going to be our mission. That's our mission for the next couple of years. There's so much more to life than selling roofs. Selling roofs is just like something that we do to help make an impact on our customers' lives and our employees' lives. But it's just one little piece of human your existence. entire life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's really my whole story is everything's a fucking accident. You know what I mean? Like when you said that you never would have thought you'd be selling roofs, like what about my past? Says that I would be a traveling consultant telling guys like Dustin Bigler, here's a good idea. And they would be like, that's a smart guy. Man, you love that Dustin Bigler guy. Oh, man. man because he, because he's him. like, I, I, because I think he's done incredible things. We got lucky business. enough to be on a panel with him. How, wait, listen, let me ask you a question. What were the odds of a guy like me and you being on a panel with a guy like him and Hunter Below? Well, I mean, if you... I'm just saying, like, that was just like... And, and Tim I Brown mean, the odds been, are... What is it Gary Vee says? The odds of being born a human are 700 trillion to one. 400 so trillion to one. Speaking of Gary Vee, did you notice all the toys that I got behind me? Yeah, I noticed that you get a bunch of... like. So now he's selling... Vee friends! So now he's selling, now he's selling merch that isn't... That is fungible... Fungible merch based on these NFTs, you know, like yeah. it's wild. So you I'm got in, your I'm non-fungible in, merch, now you got your fungible merch. I'm in, yeah, I'm in the vortex. It's like a he's basically trying to get people in the Web two world to like learn about. He's tricking them into like old school stuff by selling them gonna, Furbies. Yeah, basically, I have plush toys and I have figurines back there too. Um, nice. Yeah, the ones in the boxes are like actual figurines, and then the ones in the bags, like on the bottom, and then the then the, and the one on the top right there is the gratitude gorilla. Um, it's a those are stuffed animals, but yeah, it's a fascinating thing. We could we could talk about NFTs all day, but I want to wrap this episode up because I'm definitely going to have you back on. Um, me and you talk about all the time that I feel like we should even have our own separate show called something um, to where I don't know we interview somebody in the roofing space and just pick their brain about just. Random stuff other than sell, selling roofs. Well, would be, this would was be, this was a lot of fun. So I mean, well, if you want to do this again, like I would it, do but, this again. Well, we can definitely do this again. I mean, I do, I try to keep the episodes to an hour um, because they say like any longer than that, you know, it's hard to like maintain. The most popular podcaster on the planet goes for like three hours or marathons. I hear you, but I'm still a new podcaster. I'm only like forty episodes in, so like you know, it's I'm still relatively new. But when I hit episode one hundred, maybe we'll change the format. Yeah, maybe we'll right go on. like three, four hours because me and you, I know we've talked through two, three, four hours before at a time. Yep, it's the the possibilities are endless. But I got five questions that I ask every single podcast guest. So here we go. Um, imagine that you're on an island completely by yourself. You have to take one book with you. What book do you take with you? I think there's actually a book called How to Survive If You're Stranded on an Island. I'd probably bring that one. I'm pretty sure that book is out there. I, I actually think I've seen it. Okay. If not, if not, then it'd be like Tim's Four Hour Chef because I know that has a bunch of shit in there about that. Okay. Tim Ferriss, yeah. All right. By the way, he just launched, he's launching an NFT project. That'd be on the, smart. I just, got on the wait list. I just got on the wait list for that, so that'll be good. Hook me um, up. He's one of my first guys that loved. Oh, yeah, no. He's, that he's sounds got the, really, really bad. He's one of the first, like, <laughs> one of his books. So I was like, man, that guy's so smart. Yeah, a four-hour work week, buddy. That stuck in my head for a while. Yeah. Problem is, is, when you go to that four-hour work week, and then you still want to work, and then you got to then you go create other businesses. Then that's not a four-hour. Work I got week. ten four-hour work weeks. <laughs> that's exactly what's happening to your boy over here. And, uh, 
<laughs> All right, so we got the book. All right, so what about a movie? You can take one movie with you. What movie can you watch over and over and over again? Ford versus Friday. Oh, I like that one. Wow. See, you are me and your me and your buddies. That's why I'm here. And then uh, so I'm, not, I'm not here because you're, I'm going to get so much audience from your low rent forty person podcast. It's limited to an hour. I'm here yeah, to oh, so bad. Yeah, no, so bad. <laughs> yeah. One day, one day, our yeah, it is bad. I mean, I only have like seventy two subscribers right now. So hey, if you're listening right now, do me a favor, go to YouTube, subscribe to my podcast. If you're on Apple or Spotify, go ahead and do whatever you do there. Make sure you send an email to the show host and uh, let them know that you're listening because that's always helpful too. But back to the uh, question. So we got book, we got uh, movie. Movie. What restaurant would you put on this island? Which what, What's your favorite restaurant that, that you would want to put on this island? Put Cinnabon. If I'm living on an island, I want to make sure I get as many calories as possible because it's probably. So did you just say Cinnabon? Cinnabon, yeah, because oh yeah, oh, with unlimited island. icing too, right? Like, well, then you got the calories to make sure you can survive. You're on a fucking island. You're gonna make your own place to live. You got to catch your own fish. You're probably gonna have to try and build something to cast away, sail your way out of there. So someday. you can just like, eat Cinnabons all day long. Just, well, I mean, I probably shouldn't, but if I'm stranded on an island, I would. I mean, if, if I'm trying right. to build myself a metroplex, then yeah, let's get a booster juice or something that's healthy. But I mean, if I'm trying to get my ass off that island, I'm probably gonna go for a high calorie. This guy says Cinnabon. All right, so you're allowed to take one vacation. Which I know you've never taken a vacation before, but let's just say you you could go one place. Where would you go? Uh, Blue Origin, trip to the moon. No, see, now you're the first person that ever said that. You're also the first person that ever said Ford versus Ferrari. I've had some other people hit me up with a survival thing. So, um, Cinnabon, you're definitely the first person for Cinnabon, too. Moon, Ford versus Ferrari, Cinnabon, those are all first-time answers. All right, and here's the last question. You're allowed to spend 24 hours with one person, past, present, or future. Who would you call up to come hang out with you for 24 hours on the island? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan. James Pierpont Morgan. Tell me why. The dude bailed out the U.S. government twice. He was the first person to put a fire, fireplace on a boat. He had the Corsair One, where he got all the railroad companies to get along because he basically took them on a boat and said he wouldn't take them back till they figured out how to get along. And that's how they got the Corsair Agreement. Corsair Two was where he negotiated bailing out the government. The dude at one point in time represented 30% of the United States GDP. If that was him today, it would be $14 trillion, somewhere thereabouts. $14 trillion net worth. James Pierpont Morgan, and and he did all that with a big acne busted up nose that he was super embarrassed about. That dude, like, he literally was the, like, he was the most powerful man on earth at one point in time. That's a pretty cool answer. J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And with that, we're going to wrap up the show. How can they? Uh, how can the people of the show get a hold of Adam Sand? What's the best place to follow you or uh, get a hold of you at? Ah, uh, good. Yeah, go to roofingbusinesspart.com. Hit the chat bot. Thanos will queue you up and get you in my inbox. Uh, or of course, just find me on Facebook. I'll say yes to everybody to be my friend. Yeah, if you guys are, if you're a contractor out there and you're looking for help on how to get your sumo quote 
uh, installed and up and running optimally. This guy's company does it. Him and his uh, fiance Allison are amazing at that. They helped me with my sumo quote. And if you go to sumo quote, you can use code sumo Benny. First time I've ever done a plug before, so I'm just trying this out. Sumo Benny will get you, I think, a free month or maybe a couple hundred bucks off. I'm not really sure what it gets you, but if you don't know, you go to sumoquote.com and try it out. And then call Adam Sandup from the Roofing Business Partner, and he will get you onboarded with Sumo Quote. So that way you don't have to worry about plugging in all those crazy uh, equations, and, and uh, he'll get you all your fancy PDF proposals. Uh, looking good and sexy. We call it sumo sexy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. But Adam's definitely going to be coming back on the show. And uh, we're glad that you came. And uh, I appreciate all the knowledge that you give me because you definitely inspired me to kind of ask more questions and, and be more inquisitive. And you make it you make me feel okay for it, too. So thank you for that. Of course, man. Well, it was a pleasure to be here. And, yeah, it'd be cool to do a second episode that wasn't just all my childhood traumas and insecurities and all the mistakes and failures. We didn't even get into the traumas and insecurities <laughs> either. Like, I, I actually yeah. kind of, like, want to go deeper on that. But uh, that'll be uh, that'll be another episode that we have the therapist on in the middle, and then she can kind of help right us. Right on. Cool. All right, we'll be back right, next Friday. Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com. Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.